Welcome to the Intentional House Podcast. Here, it's all about creating beautiful homes that actually help families love better. Here's your host, the home coach herself, Carly Thornock. Hey, it's Carly. So glad you're here. Okay, we're going to jump right in today with the little lifesaver of the week, RX bars. Have you guys ever had an RX bar? Are you a fan? I cannot get over the maple sea salt flavor. Love it. Love it with an insane passion that I didn't think would be possible for a little bar. I'm just reading the wrapper right now. Full of three egg whites, five pecans, four cashews, two dates, and no BS. I just love these things. Who are these people? Why do they love me? I don't know, but I love them right back. Okay, so this week I bought myself a box, a whole box, just to myself. I let my kids in this aisle, the aisle of breakfast bars and like energy things. I bought myself a whole box of RX bars. Let my kids like pick out one little lar bar. Larbar is our child treat of choice, but I bought myself a whole box. Okay, that's fine. I keep them stashed in my desk drawer. And while I've recently abandoned the camp of emotionally eating and trying to enhance or minimize the feelings that I'm feeling with food, it's been a hard camp to leave, by the way, I uh, love to plan to eat one every afternoon. Kind of helps me get through the witching hours with small children right before dinner, and it's so fun. So just just as a note, this camp of uh, emotional eating, that's a hard camp to leave. It has been the work that I've been engaged in for the past little while. Feeling my feelings, not eating them, not not just celebrating via food, not feeling sad with food as my favorite companion. It's very hard. It's very hard, but it's worth it. Anyway, if anybody wants to hear more about that, just drop me a line. I'm sure we could do a whole episode about that excitement. But today what I have for you is the intentional house cycle. And this is one of the things that I'm so, so passionate about that I love deeply, almost as much as our X-Bars. Okay, more than our X-Bars. The intentional house cycle was born when I started talking to moms and realizing that we as moms think that our houses and how our houses look and how clean our houses are and how uh, our houses behave are direct uh, reflections on our morality as wives, homemakers, and hostesses. It's kind of crazy when you sit down and you think about it, but that is the baseline that a lot of us fall victim to believing. And this is totally influenced by social media. Like you get on Instagram and you see these perfect houses and they're beautiful. And yes, let me just say, I love beautiful things, especially on Instagram and particularly on Pinterest, may I add. But houses are not moral. The state of our house is not a moral issue, nor does it reflect our own personal worth. Not at all. And, you know, when I say this to you, I'm sure you're like, of course, it's just a house. Like, obviously, I know that I'm more important than if my my floors are mopped. But when was the last time you just let somebody come into your very messy house? Somebody comes to the door. Hey, just drop by. Just drop by to see you because I like you. Are we like, great, come in, I like you too. No, we're like, oh, uh, well, well, yeah, you can totally come in, but I, oh yeah, it's been a really busy day. I haven't gotten around to doing the dishes yet. Like we start making these excuses for our houses, but really we're making excuses for ourselves because we have a life and we are living our life in our houses and we think that somehow that is a bad thing. It's completely bogus. And I have done this and we all have done this, right? We totally are. So what I've realized is that there are stages to homes and these stages are not seen on social media nor are they promoted by the designers of the world 
the designers of the world, we like to just blast this perfection, this like sanctuary bedroom, this kitchen with a sink full of fresh flowers and nobody around. There ain't nobody in these pictures. It's so true. And we perceive that this is normal. Like somehow this is normal that our houses should look like the HGTV dream home with white sofas. And we have young children. Like this is just kind of getting into our psyche. We say things like cleanliness is next to godliness and we believe it. We think that if we aren't tidy, we aren't good. Okay. It's really putting a damper on the 98% of our lives when people are awake and our house actually looks like it could be in a magazine. Like, or like, when does that ever happen? Like, forget about the 2% that we imagine that this happens. There's never really a time and neither should there be. Okay. So when we live our lives for this tiny little slice of the pie, that's the perfect house. And in my house, my house looks awesome at 8 p.m. when all of my children are asleep and I have nothing else to do except for watch something on Netflix and like vacuum. You know what I mean? Like that's that's when my house looks great or or like the five minutes before company comes over and I'm just yelling at my kids like, don't touch anything. You have to wait outside. We'll see you in an hour. Don't be in here. We ha- It's hard to live real life with real children Uh, in a way that you feel great about, like firmly founded in your motheringness with a pristine house, okay? But this isn't how we live our life. And we shouldn't pretend that we do. And we shouldn't pretend like other people do. And think about the freedom that would be unlocked if you and everybody else you knew understood that. If your mother-in-law was like, oh, it's fine. You're just living life. It doesn't matter what your house looks like. And if we were grounded enough in our worth to be like, come on over, bring your leftovers. Let's have a potluck. And we don't even say anything about when the last time was that we vacuumed or dusted or blah, blah, whatever. Doesn't that sound so cool? So this is what birthed the intentional house cycle because I was realizing that we have this whole 98% of the pie that we are not accounting for in our discussions or in the social media that we partake of in large quantities as a society. So I wanted to give names to these other stages of our lives where the living is happening. And I also wanted to take into account this place that we feel we're trying to create, the ideal that we're working toward that's really quite inspirational. I love working toward a beautiful bathroom. I love looking at backsplashes and tile and rugs and all the things that I feel like can combine to create a beautiful aesthetic place that I want to be. Like, that's really fun, right? But what we have to realize about our houses, uh, and this is something that I learned from Brooke Castillo, it's the 50-50 principle. And this is the principle that everybody's life is 50% beautiful, 50% amazing, and 50% awful and crappy and the worst. Everybody. So if we're looking to change the way that we feel by changing our houses or trying to reach some picture of idealness with our decor or our cleanliness, we're going to find that when we get there, our life is still 50-50. When you have a beautiful, clean, pristine house, the downside is you can't let anybody inside. Like that's too bad. That's the 50% that sucks about having a really clean house, right? So we have to always remember 
that every single person has 50% awesome, 50% crappy life experiences and that houses do not make us feel anything. Houses are neither good nor bad. They're just completely neutral. They're just circumstances. They just are so fine. So fine. The research about this is fascinating. So lots of people like to pull out research, especially online, especially our amazing professional organizer friends who I worship, but they say things like, um, tidiness and cleanliness helps us feel more calm, right? But recently a study came out that I just totally was geeking out over. And it says kids are more creative with a little bit of chaos. If you want creativity, you have a little bit of clutter. You have stuff out. You have things that are engaging their minds. And if you want calm, you have tidiness. So it kind of just depends on what you're trying to help come to pass. If that makes sense. It just depends on what you want to afford. Now, this is the term in the research that I totally love to use. And this is affordances. And these are just invitations. An affordance is an invitation in your house that your that your environment gives to you. So, for example, if you walk into a kitchen and they have bar stools, you sit in the bar stools. Like they afford sitting. Or if you walk into the same kitchen and you need to cook something and there's a stove, you choose to use the stove to cook stuff. It affords cooking. You don't just like try to strike up a fire on the floor. No, you take the invitation. This is really easy. You just take the invitation. It's affording you a great experience. Easy peasy. Dunzo. You do it. So depending on what you want to afford, the experiences uh, for yourself and for your children and for your guests, uh, what do you want to create? If you're trying to create creativity, then leave some stuff out. Leave some invitations for creativity. If you want to invite calm, then put stuff away. Close the doors and pack it up beautifully and organized Okay. So understanding this research also blew my mind. I was like, okay, I don't always just want to afford people to tiptoe around and talk in quiet voices and afford myself some, um, like, uh, less great mom moments, shall we say? I feel like when I feel stressed about my house, it makes me like a less present mom. Okay. Okay. This is real. I didn't even try to do this lead in, but my own research that I have published in peer review journal is about how the more clutter a mom has in her house, uh, the more authoritarian parenting she employs. Okay. So this is the parenting that's high demand, which is high expectations and low warmth, uh, mean you're mean, you aren't responsive. You aren't connected. So this kind of parenting produces children who have anxiety and depression, who don't have very much self-confidence, who aren't autonomous. Um, What we are going for is called authoritative parenting. And this is high demands, high expectations as well, but very high warmth. So you expect a lot of your kids, but you're also very supportive, very much a part of their life, very connected, very present. That's what we want. But the more clutter um, is associated with worse parenting, essentially. Right. Um, And so this is fun because we can recognize that, oh, I I can feel stressed out by my house. Right. I can feel like the things in my house affect me poorly 
or well. And the key to this all is how you think about your house. Because let's get real. If a person has dishes in their sink, that can mean something completely different to two different women. If I have dishes in my sink, it doesn't bother me. If I have dishes on my counter, that bugs me big time. But I also have friends who, if they are any dishes in the sink, they're totally bugged. And it's kind of just whatever belief system we're operating on, right? Everybody's different with this. So get clear in your mind about what bugs you about your house and how you can engage with your house and give yourself invitations for whatever it is you want to invite into your house and do it on purpose and like your reasons. There really is no right answer here. Um, And that's what's so beautiful about houses. That is why one size does not fit all. And that is why we have to understand the intentional house cycle, which we're going to get into in just a second, and the stages of home so that you can take each little lever that I present to you and tweak it so that it optimizes what you're going for on an hourly, daily, monthly, yearly basis. doesn't matter. You can change anything in your house at the drop of a hat and know that you're honing in on your goals. It's so empowering. I found this study too, UCLA Center on Everyday Lives and Families, the C-E-L-F, self. (laughs) That reminds me of um, the Santa Claus where they're like ELFS and they all fly off to to go save Santa Claus. These are the C-E-L-F team. Okay. I don't think that they use tinsel, but that is a moot point. So they discovered when they explored in real time, the relationship between 32 California families and the objects in their houses. So what that means is they followed these people, 32 California families and the stuff that they had at their houses. And they wrote a book about it. And the book is called Life at Home in the 21st Century. I feel like that's going to be like on the bookshelves in the next 50 years. And people are going to be like, what is that thing? But mom, why did they put food in that box? What did it do? Anyway, so they found some cool stuff like a link between high cortisol, which is your stress hormone, levels in female homeowners and a high density of household objects. So they're like, moms have lots of stuff in their house. Moms are stressed. This is what I found too. You feel a bit more stressed. You parent more stressed. Uh, Women associate a tidy home with a happy and a successful family. Whoa. Is that you? Yeah, totally. This is totally us. I think in 21st century America, the more dishes that pile up, the more anxious women feel. We have these constructs and these belief systems about our houses and the things in them and how we take care of them uh, that reflect personally on our character. Isn't that fascinating? They also found that families that want to reduce clutter are often too scared to do it because they don't want to throw stuff away. They feel really deeply about their attachment to stuff, which is totally real. And they think that their stuff is super valuable because they've bought it, right? This is like... Once you commit to rooting for a team, you just like have to keep rooting for them, even though they're totally going to get destroyed on the field. This is the same thing we do with our stuff. It's a bias that we all have where once we've committed to something, we don't want to give it up because then it reflects poorly on our decision making. We do this all the time with our houses. So isn't that so funny? But really, we know that we have control over all of these interpretations of our houses. They're totally in our court. We get to choose. We get to choose. So if you want to, again, like if you want to do the tidy thing and you want to afford the calmness behavior and the concentration, like awesome, let's do it. If you want to do creativity and wonder and exploration and interest, let's do it. But you're going to be doing different things to afford different outcomes. 
So, so awesome. So there are four stages in the intentional house cycle because life ebbs and flows. Okay. We know this. We know this. So this is why I created the intentional house cycle. So fun. We have quadrants. So imagine the intentional house cycle is like a clock. You're looking at it right in front of you on the wall in front of you. Or if you're driving or something, don't get too distracted. Just like imagine in your peripheral mind eye. At the top at 12 o'clock, we have vision. This is that 2% of Mecca ideology where we're like, yes, I just want some bohemian plants and some modern lines and some fancy textures. And I want it to look like this particular designer that I saw on Pinterest. Okay, I love it. That's what it is to create a vision. This is so super important because if we don't know what we would like and if we don't know where we're going, we're not going to get there. So while we want our houses to be functional and super connective and really meaningful and to take that next step of depth into what our houses can do for us, we also want them to be pretty. So this vision at 12 o'clock on our clock here on our cycle is super important. We need to take time here and we need to visualize and put together exactly what it is we want in our mind and on paper. So awesome. But we have three other quadrants to explore beyond this. Often we just stop at this, right? And we try to recreate the things we see online in our houses. And then we're frustrated because they don't work with what we're doing. And we feel like we either have to choose the pretty house or the children. And our hearts are being torn out and we're angry people. But we don't have to choose. Because what we have to understand is that there's just more stages to the cycle. So come with me. Let us cycle. Oh, if we go to three o'clock. On the intentional house cycle, this is the quadrant that I call experience. This is where real life goes down. It's about to go down. This is where we're like doing stuff like baking cookies and washing dishes and sleeping in our beds and cleaning, cooking, caring, leaving, coming, worshiping, recreating, uh, resting, teaching, all these things happen in our houses and the happenings, the routines, the habits, they all go in these, this experience quadrant. We have our vision. We want it to look pretty and function great. And then we have experience and we want to use it in a way that's cool and meaningful to us. As we go down the cycle to six o'clock on the, uh, the intentional house cycle, this is where we have the growth stage growth, man. It's that word, you know, you hear somebody be like, this is going to help you grow. And you're like, no, I don't want to grow. Uh, yes, this is what this growth stage infers. After, after the dinner has happened, after you've had the party, after you've baked the cookies, there is always a mess to clean up. There's always aftermath, right? I know we wish that it didn't happen, but there is, there's always, uh, something to put back into order after an experience. And so spurred by that discomfort is this stage of growth where we have opportunities. And while you might feel uncomfortable, this is where all the magic starts to happen. I know you might not believe me, but it really does. Because when we feel uncomfortable, our knee-jerk reaction is to return back up to 12 o'clock vision as fast as we can to run, run, run and make things right. Because why? Because if things are not right and organized and beautiful, then we are bad homemakers, mothers, hosts. Right? No. We want to sit in that discomfort for a second and we want to get good at it. Because the better we can get at being uncomfortable in our houses, the better we're going to be at seeing the people that we love, even when things aren't exactly right. 
And I'm going to include ourselves in this, uh, in this conversation of we're going to be able to see ourselves and have compassion on ourselves for a second, for an hour, for a few days while we just let the mess kind of be there while we take care of our needs and recenter to our true values. And then we can clean up. Then we can change what we need to change in our houses to be better for next time. But before we do any sort of that work, we have to get our perception right. This is the other little research that I published that I'm totally excited about and proud of. This was actually my graduate thesis work. And I love it because it's so cool about how the mind works. What we did in this study was we had moms, again, talking to moms. And we're like, how many people live in your house and how big is your house? Person per square foot. How dense are the people in your house? Do you live in 200 square feet and there's 15 of you? How uncomfortable do you feel? Like that's a lot. That's pretty dense. Or do you live in 10,000 square feet and you have three of you? That is not dense at all. And then from that metric, how are your family relationships? Do you feel like you like each other? Can you make decisions? Do you know where where each other are during the day? Do you feel like you know things about each other? Do you feel like you're part of a unit? Do you rely on each other? All these questions. And what I found when I asked that question was, oh yeah, if you're feeling crowded in your house, like if you're, if you're experiencing density, your family relationships suffer, but then get this. Oh, this is so good. We added in perception uh, factors. So what that means is we have our density question how many people per square foot live in your home? And we said, how do you feel about that? Do you feel crowded? Do you feel like people are far away? How do you feel about that? How do you perceive that? What's your thought process here? And then we asked them, how did that affect your family? How your family relationships? And what we found was that density, the actual physical parts of their houses only informed how they felt but then how they felt about it, if they felt crowded, those were the predictors of their family relationship outcomes. What this means is above and beyond the things that we put in our house, above and beyond how much space we have available to us, the perception of how we feel about it is what will influence our relationships. Isn't that fabulous? So that is why we need to sit in discomfort for a minute and recognize how we're perceiving it and change our perceptions if a change is necessary. Because if our mind isn't in the right place, ain't nothing in the right place. Doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter what wallpaper we put up. The only thing that changes can do for us is change how we think. We think that like a pillow is gonna make the difference. No, no, no. A pillow might just help you think about something differently, right? It might just give you an excuse to change your mind. But I'm telling you that you can be happy in your house no matter what it looks like if you decide to be. And that's the work that we do in this growth stage of the cycle. Often, this is when houses are messy. Often, this is the magic. And if you can find a friend and a sister and a mom and all the other wonderful women that we have in our lives to meet you in this growth stage, to invite people to connect with you in this spot, to invite the kids over to play when the house looks like a bomb went off and like be able to sit in it and still see your people. Oh, what freedom and what joy, right? Okay, so after we've been able to center and we can live in discomfort, we can be happy in discomfort, but we think we might wanna make another choice just for the fun of it, just because, just because, hey, why not? 
Then we can move into the final quadrant, which is at nine o'clock on our clock here we're envisioning. And this is the elevate section, the elevation stage. And here is when we get to make all the fun design decisions. This is like, do we do turn knobs on our doors or do we do just like flat handles that you push down? Do we choose repose gray or do we choose grayish? Like what, what pink color do we want to paint our cabinets? Like these decisions in and of themselves are neither going to make you happy or provide any sort of like moral worth to you, <laughs> but they're fun. They're so fun to do. And when you're centered in making those decisions, you can recognize that, Hey, if I make a mistake here, it's not the end of the world. And what do I actually want? When it's not about you and it's not about being right and it's not about being perfect, you can make whatever decision you want. And that is my favorite part about working with people with the intentional house cycle is seeing them wake up to their own preferences and feel comfortable choosing their preferences. Oh, it's so much fun. And so there are little design things that we can talk about here, like how to style a bookshelf or the three ways to put a rug in your room and to make it look centered and grounded and appropriate dimensionally. Like there are little tips and tricks that I can give you. And there are little things that we can all learn so that our houses look great. But if we don't feel great and if we haven't made the decision to love it and to lean into it and to choose what really makes us happy and set ourselves free from all these shows we're living in, then it doesn't matter what we choose to put in our houses. But when it's in the right spot, oh man, so, so, so much fun. So once we change our perception, we can change our environment or we can do nothing. That's the other thing about the elevation stage. It's like, what if I just feel great? What if I feel great? It's just how things are going. Now that I've changed my mind, I don't really want to change anything. Here we go. Then you're back up to vision. And the cool thing about the intentional house cycle, you guys, is that it's not just a circle that you circle around, circle around, circle around, don't really get anywhere. Imagine this is like the slinky of housedom glory where you start at the bottom and you go around the circle. But then the next time you come up to vision, you are a level up. You have elevated, you have risen to the occasion, and you're going to experience a whole new cycle the second time. The things that inspired you on Pinterest or on wherever in your mind, even the things you've created as your vision are going to have changed because of the mental work and the homework that you have done and the experiences that you've had. So you're going to redefine your vision and then your experiences will be different. And then your growing opportunities are going to look different. And the changes that you make to your house or that you don't make to your house are going to be different. Each time you spiral up this little slinky to the top with the goal of eventually being able to feel comfortable and confident in any stage of the cycle and being able to be present in any stage of the cycle. I know it sounds crazy. But I tell you that it can happen and I tell you it's worth it to pursue because the more times you go around the cycle, the less afraid of failure we are, the less afraid of rejection we get, and the more loving and the more aware we can become. It's phenomenal. So that is why the intentional house cycle is so fun. Here's my question for you. Where do you live? Where do you naturally gravitate to? Do you live in vision? Do you work really hard to maintain an immaculate house and you just want it to be that way so bad? Do you live in experience? Are you a live in the moment kind of person? But when it comes to decorating, it's a little trickier. 
do you live in growth? And you're always assessing how that could have gone better and the things that made you uncomfortable and the things you're going to do next time and uh, curating and pondering and taking in information. Or do you live in making changes to your home? Do you live in just buying a new pillow and redecorating and the next holiday to put out decorations for and the next party to throw? All of these stages are beautiful. All of these stages um, are essential to a well-rounded home life. And once we move through them, the key is movement, right? Once we're moving through them all and cycling through this cycle two, three, ten times a day even, right? Like It can go fast sometimes. Uh, that's when we get the positives from all of the quadrants. If we get stuck and if we stop moving, then that is when we have hard effects, hard consequences in our homes. If we stay stuck in the vision, that's tricky. If we stay stuck being present, we have a hard time. If we're stuck in growth, if we're stuck in elevation, uh, that's not optimal, right? We need movement. We need flushing. We need reassessment. We need reimagining. We need new experiences. And that keeps us fresh. That keeps our homes fresh. And that's what keeps us healthy. The coolest part of the intentional house cycle, you guys, is that while there are seven layers of the gumdrop forest that we could go into about the intentional house cycle, and this is just a very brief overview of what the intentional house cycle is, the best part of the cycle is the very bullseye center. And the bullseye center of the intentional house cycle is connection. And if we imagine the cycle less of a clock and more like a pie with all the pie pieces just pulled out a tiny bit so that there's room for a bullseye center, all of the little arrows that the pies make are pointing toward the bullseye center and the bullseye center is connection. If we engage with our homes with the purpose of connection and we are focused on connection, all stages of the cycle and all of the invitations between the stages can point us back to connection, connection to God, connection to ourselves, connection to other people. And every stage can be magnificent and meaningful and beautiful. And our homes become a sacred place. That's how it happens. Isn't that so much fun? So here's my invitation to you today. Just notice. Just notice for the next day where you're at in the cycle. Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling like something about you is wrong or something about the experience you just had um, is annoying or frustrating? And you just really want to get things back up to vision and you find yourself in this discomfort of growth opportunity? Are you imagining how things could be a lot? Do you find yourself in the vision stage a little bit more often? Do you, are you having experiences? Do you find yourself really leaning into experiences during the day? See if you can during the next day, pinpoint when you're at each stage of the intentional house cycle. And the benefits of doing this are you're going to find that you're less attacking of yourself in the stages that previously were, might've been thought of as a, immoral or looked down upon. You're going to recognize the shoulds that are going off in your brain. You're going to recognize that inner voice. And I want you to be aware of it. That's just interesting, right? That's fun to know about yourself. You're going to be able to embrace the moment more and have more self-compassion. And you're going to be able to invite other people into your life because no longer is one stage better or worse than another, but it just is. And that's so 
fun to recognize. If you want to teach a friend about this and you can go through it together and talk through things and be like, oh my goodness, I'm so in elevation right now. I just want to make some big changes from a place of love or I'm having a a hankering to envision something new. Envision with me. I feel like things are so much more fun to do with a friend. My dad always does say, it's funner to dig a ditch with a friend. And yes, that's completely true. So find a friend, share the cycle and let's like liberate the mothers. I feel like we can't be stuck in this pretend world of how home should be for any longer. Tell all the people. Okay, are you with me? One whole day. Try to notice when you're where you're at in this cycle. Ah, feels good, right? Feels good to know that. Feels good to understand that our houses are for more than looking good. Haha. <laughs> All right. So with every podcast, I like to end with a listener question. So after we just learned all that goodness, you guys okay? Everyone all right? Okay, we're going to jump into our listener question. And this comes from Shayla. She says, how do I get my kids on board with all this? Everything you talk about, I really love, but how do I help them get into each stage and move through the cycle with me? This is such a good question. And this is something that reflects back to a principle that I learned a few years ago that has really changed my life. This is from... uh, a leadership education. It's a book by the DeMills, Oliver DeMille. Totally recommend this book. It's fabulous. But they talk about this principle called, they call it you, not them. And they're talking about homeschooling in particular uh, and education, but they are talking about how as parents and as mothers in particular, if we want to instill a love in our children, we first must come to love the thing. This is the same with our homes. If we want to instill a habit or if we want to instill a buy-in from our kids, the easiest way to do that is to focus on your buy-in first. So if you're finding like you want them to get a little bit more in on the vision, the vision part of the cycle, then you need to get more in on the vision. Paint the picture to them. Talk about it. What would they love to see in their house? What matters to them? And I guarantee they're going to have ideas that you haven't thought about. So talk to them about it. And with kids, when they feel like they have a say, they just automatically come along. And you know what? Especially young kids, they automatically come along anyway because you're their mama. They just follow you around the house anyway. And a lot of times, you guys, a lot of times we gatekeep. And what gatekeeping is, is when we, especially as moms, think that we're better at something than other people. So we do not allow participation. Sometimes we do this to our husbands with parenting. We're like, no, 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 I got this. I'm protecting this space. I have it my way. Don't come in here. You're going to ruin my vacuum lines. Uh, But we do this with our our houses too when kids take forever to do chores and they do them really bad. Or when we think that it would just be faster, easier, better. If we did things ourselves, we might as well just make the beds after everybody's gone to school. Just so much easier for everyone. We are gatekeeping our children from the cycle and experiencing all facets of the cycle. And thus we are neutering their growth. So invite people in, do your best to not gatekeep, work on your buy-in to the cycle, and then just let it come. Just let them come. This requires commitment on your part. It requires an understanding that the intentional house cycle is a way of thinking. And actually, okay, this is getting better. This is even getting better here. The intentional house cycle can kind of be overlaid on any part of your life. So let's take your relationship with your child, for instance, and we're going to overlay the intentional house cycle on it. 
So we can do this for a room, right? Easy. We can be like, okay, we have a kitchen and I have a vision of what I want my kitchen to be like. I want to experience my kitchen in these ways with my family. Here's how I know I'm going to be triggered and feel very uncomfortable in my kitchen. And here are the growth opportunities that I see and foresee. And then as experiences happen, there will be even more we don't foresee. And then I'm excited to go into these elevation challenges and make changes that I I see as being necessary. Great. We get that with our houses. But when it comes to relationships and people and any other part of our life, we can do this too. So let's get meta here. So you can put your kid's attitude through the cycle. Okay. So you have a vision of what you want their attitude to be about their stuff and your house. You like want them to love cleaning their room so much. You just envision them being like, yeah, mom, I'm going to clean out my closet and it's my favorite thing to do, right? You have this like idea of how you want it to go. Uh, And that's probably exaggerated, but some, a little bit of truth. You have an experience with them where maybe that matches up to real life or maybe it doesn't. And then you have tons of invitations for growth. And a big one is the discomfort we feel over lack of control with our kids. Like things are a mess and they don't even care. And we perceive this being a very big problem. But if we can take control of our perception and see our children for human beings who they really are with their own agency and their own preferences. I know it's so rude. It's so rude that they have agency and preferences, right? I know, but they do. And so if we can accept that for what it is and we can make changes to our behavior and to our home and to our systems that might help out reinforcing our vision on the next go around, hey, we have so much control. Isn't it fun how stepping into our lack of control (laughs) gives us so much control? Isn't that fun? So what a great question about getting your kids on board. You, not them, and bring them with you. And then you can kind of use the framework of the intentional house cycle to assess places where you can uh, lean in a little bit more or back off the gas a little bit. Lots of tools, lots of levers you can pull. I hope you feel super, super inspired. I hope that this to you is a tool that you tweak and adapt to fit your needs. This is not a should And what I mean by that is this is not something that should be done in an exact way or else the police are going to stop by your house and arrest you for not doing it right. Like this is not how it goes, right? You are the mom. You are the homemaker. You are the one in your house making decisions for your family and your things. So lean into it. Take that power and use it with responsibility. (laughs) It doesn't hurt my feelings. There's great research that backs it up, but you know what? The best part of research is that it is based on statistics. It's based on averages. It's based on a lot of people's average responses and statistics are never about the individual. So you get to take this research and these ideas and you get to distill it down to what works for you. And that is your truth. I'm all for that. All right, you guys, that's a, that's a wrap for today. And I will talk to you next time. You go get messy. Bye. Do you just love this podcast? There's even more housey homey family goodness to explore over at intentionalhouse.com.